Well, dear Father, thank you for these precious moments around this table. Moments when we remember your great love for us. A love that's never been equaled and never will. A love that is unconditional. A love that is powerful and that it brought about the forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for these moments to remember in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to point out to you as we begin this morning that in your bulletin is a copy of a sermon outline with blanks to fill in. I'd appreciate it if you'd follow along and fill that in and keep that as a reference tool because I think this is a subject that we're not going to solve in one day. We're probably going to battle with it for the rest of our lives. I begin today with some potent Bible words. Words about taming and controlling our tongues. I told you it was going to be stuff we'd need every day. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about the words we speak and the things we say. We turn to the Old Testament in Proverbs 12, 13. The Bible says, an evil man is trapped by his sinful talk. But a righteous man escapes trouble Two paths we can choose, two results we can look forward to, depending, again, on our words and our speech. We back up a book to the book of Psalms, and it says in chapter 34, verses 13 and 14, Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. From evil and do good, seek peace and pursue it. And back in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 11, a little more positive way to state what the scripture is trying to tell us about our tongues. When it says, a word spoke aptly, properly, correctly, that kind of thing. A word spoke aptly is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Powerful, potent words. And we'll learn more as we go today. Today and this week, we conclude our summer series, Practical Pearls, that provide a true reflection. It's been my honor and joy to share these preaching times with Zach and a couple of guest missionary speakers. And as we've covered the books of James and Proverbs, it's been my particular privilege to stand before you and preach this the third time. And it was my honor to speak on that sin of favoritism which we said the scripture prohibits and forbids. The idea that wealth has many dangers and snags for us to be aware of and run away from. And today, we're talking about controlling and taming our tongue. Now, as I thought about this, it seemed like, man, I was allowed the privilege to kind of hit us in the face (laughs) three different times. Three things we really need to confront and do with. And uh, I just want to make this confession to you today that if these three conducts that I just spoke of were a college curriculum, well, let's just say Virgil wouldn't be on the dean's list. You know what I mean? They're all struggle areas for myself and probably for you as well. Switch gears with me for a minute as we try to illustrate what I'm trying to say. If controlling my weight were simply a matter of eliminating just one fattening food from my diet, 
it'd probably be easier for me to shed the pounds and keep them off. (laughs) But uh, this is not the case, is it, with diets? It's not just a matter of one food item, although they tempt us in tasty fashion. Shedding pounds is not an easy battle to win because there are many of those kinds of things that are not our friends when it comes to losing weight. I mean, you know that to be true. Let's think about it a minute. I mean, we've got pizza and fried chicken. Yeah. And spaghetti. Getting hungry yet? Mashed potatoes and gravy. Submarine sandwiches. Onion rings. Chili dogs. Oh, I'm not done. Biscuits, white bread, tortillas, cornbread, yeast rolls, crescent rolls. You might want me to stop, but I'm going forward. There's pecan pie, pineapple upside down cake. Carol, see? Yes. Um, Banana pudding, donuts. Sorry, David. (laughs) But I'm right in there with them. Candy, cinnamon rolls, and just every kind of sweet snack cake you could ever want to see. There are many diet-damaging foods all around us. And it makes me think, so much food, so little time. You see, if it were just one item I had to eliminate... I think you might see a thinner man before you today. Well, that same dilemma faces us when it comes to controlling our tongues. Just like there are many diet-destroying foods out there, there are many, many ways to sin with our tongue and with our words. And we find grave concerns and strong warnings throughout James and Proverbs and much other scripture as well against all the trouble that our tongue and our words can get us into when our language, our speech, and our words, and even maybe our tones displease God and damage our witness and hurt others. My first point is simply this. There are many sins of the tongue. We're going to list several, and you can fill in the blanks there if you want to. We're not going to make a lot of comments about each one. I just want us to see that there are many, many sins of the tongue. The first is what we're going to call the vain tongue. This is the tongue that takes God's name in vain and speaks of God in empty and trivial and unreverent ways. It's disregarding God and God things. This is the tongue that just says God doesn't deserve anything, any special tribute or honor or recognition. It's the vain tongue. It's empty. Next we come to the blasphemous tongue. You know what that means. That's the tongue that speaks unrighteous and holy, unholy words. Words that deny the faith. Words that are, uh, contain false teaching. Heresy, those words we speak that go against what God has revealed in His Word and through His Holy Spirit. Next, we come to the lying tongue. 
We know what this one means. It's the word that speaks untrue words. Half-truths. Sometimes we may call it stretching or bending or shortchanging the truth in some way. This is the lying tongue. We move to the vulgar tongue. The vulgar tongue is the one that's full of curse words and those bad words, cussing, swearing, filthy language, what we might describe as potty mouth, words that are just not proper. Then we come to the gossiping tongue. This is the tongue that speaks unneeded, unconfirmed, harmful words about somebody else or something they did in order to defame them, in order to smear their name in some way or make them feel bad or make them look bad. The backbiting tongue. That's the tongue that talks negatively and nastily, spitefully about someone else behind their back. True or not. The backbiting tongue is a grave sin. We keep going. There's the coarse tongue. This is the tongue that speaks those raunchy, obscene, shady, bawdy words. These, the tongue that speaks the off-color stuff, the jokes, the uh, innuendos, the uh, stories and humor and remarks that we make that are just coarse and rough and not the, certainly the best language we could ever choose. We come to one now that I struggle with. And that one is the star... I did that Thursday night. The sarcastic tongue. The sarcastic tongue is the one that is cynical, that mocks people. It's the tongue that is sardonic, which is basically a fancier word for sarcastic. It's the, word that, it's the tongue that taunts people. And it speaks contemptuously. It's the tongue full of smart words. I confess to you that I struggle with this one. I can be terribly sarcastic when I choose to be. I'm not proud of that. I do recognize it as sin. The accusing tongue. This is the tongue that bears false witness. That slanders, that blames, that points the finger, that speaks maliciously about another trying to get them in trouble. There's the hurtful tongue. This is the tongue that speaks painful words, mean words, put-downs, slights, slurs, offensive language, offensive words, words that cause distress and misery for other people, words that break the heart. There's the proud tongue. This is the tongue full of boasting and bragging, self-promoting, self-elevating, self-centered speech. This is the tongue that is always talking about self and all your grand accomplishments and positive things like that. The next one is the overused tongue. (laughs) This one tickled me when I thought about it. This is the tongue that talks too much. Maybe we can say it this way. This is the tongue that listens too little. The overused tongue is the tongue that doesn't quite understand there is a proper time and place for silence. The overused tongue is the one who doesn't seem to recognize that 
we don't have to say everything we ever think. Sometimes a closed mouth is the best way. Of course, this is the song that James, the sin of the tongue that James addresses in verse one, chapter one and verse nineteen. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The list continues. There's the rash tongue. This is the tongue that talks too soon, <laughs> that talks angrily, that is not discreet in what it says and when and how it is said. This is the tongue that talks and speaks without thinking. This is the tongue where we fly off the handle instantly. Instead of taking a moment, thinking, praying, taking a breath and saying, maybe that's not what I should say. Then there's the flattering tongue. The flattering tongue is the one who offers empty and insincere praise and compliments, usually with the intention of improving my own status. I say something nice and sweet about you, and I just think that's going to make me closer to you, or it's going to draw favor from you to me. It's going to do me some good. So I say empty words of flattery. There's the quarrelsome tongue. This is the tongue where it just seems like people are out to cause fights, tension, problems, divisions, friction. This is the person who just seems that every word they say tends to want to divide and, and break apart the quarrelsome tongue. Finally, there's the silent tongue. The silent tongue is the one who chooses not to speak about Christ and faith. The silent tongue is the one who neglects opportunities that God puts before us to witness and share our faith. The silent tongue is the one who does not give God all the proper praise and glory that he and only he deserves. The silent tongue is the one who never speaks those words of confession that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, my Lord and my Savior. Now that was 16 different sins of the tongue. But I know I didn't get them all. So on the outline there, there's a couple of blanks, and I put those there purposefully for you to think of some as well. And I'm not going to ask you to share them out loud in front of the crowd today. But I did hear one person who heard Thursday night's message who came to me and said, they thought of another one, and it was a very, very appropriate one as well. But so you spend some time in the moments, days ahead, thinking about the other ways your tongue can lead you into sin. And uh, I want you to know that, again, this list is not exhaustive. I don't know if we could ever exhaust it. Because just like there are many damaging foods to the diet, there are many sins of the tongue. Our tongue... Our words, our speech can get us into trouble many, many different ways. The second point today is this. That as we look at the book of James, we'll see that in every chapter of his book, he has something to say about our tongue and our words. And I want us to see that through his repeated addressing of this subject... It is obvious that controlling our tongue, taming our tongue, is important and serious to do. 
So I pray that as we talk about all those different kinds of sins our tongue can lead us into, that we set our minds and our hearts to obey and practice the wisdom that James gives us as he shares again these practical pearls, these valuable things about such an everyday issue we all struggle with. And we look at his words in James as an ally, as a fortress, if you will, as an empowerment for our attempts to control our tongues and have our words be proper. So again, we're going to fly through the book of James and look at the different verses in that book where he addresses the use of our tongue. I'm either going to give you just a kind of a brief paraphrase of that verse or passage or maybe a little application of it or maybe a rephrase of it. So we're going to go through these very quickly. Again, you can fill in your blanks there. We look at chapter 1 and verse 13. And in that verse, what James is doing, he tells us that we should speak only the truth. Nothing false, no lies, no uh, contradictions to Scripture. It's important about this thing about speaking truth only and always when we think about Scripture and we think about speaking to one another. We drop down to verse 19 of chapter 1. That's the one, again, we referred to earlier, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And if you notice in that verse 19, he, he kind of sets the stage for us as he addresses us as brothers belonging to the same Christ, part of the same family. And he tells us that we should do this. Now, I've always been taught to say this, that when God says to be quick to listen and slow to speak, he created us. He designed us that way. Why? How many ears? Two. How many mouths? One. Get the logic? Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. In verse 26 of chapter 1, he tells us that we need to keep a tight rein on our tongue. And that if we don't do that, we are deceiving ourselves and getting ourselves in trouble. And that really our faith is worthless and useless. It just has no bite to it. It has no depth to it if we don't work on controlling our tongue and reining it in. Let's move to chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4. Those, these were found in that message I preached several weeks ago about favoritism and snobbery. And he tells us that we should avoid judgmental words that are biased or slanted or full of snobbery or conceit. He forbids favoritism in our speech in this process. Chapter 2 verse 12 tells us that we need to watch carefully our speech and our actions. Why? Because judgment is coming. James affirms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God is going to judge us for what comes out of our mouths, our words, our speech. So we need to guard them carefully, use great control as we best can. Verse 14 of chapter 2 tells us that words need action to be meaningful, to be helpful. This was the content of Zech's message from, from this chapter where he told us faith without works is dead. God says if you're going to speak, put some action behind it as well. These things go together and we need to do both. Moving into chapter 3, we see in verse 1 that teachers, those who speak the word of God, 
are held more highly accountable for their words than other people. That God has a high regard for the truth and he requires teachers to be very, very careful about the words they speak when they're in front of people teaching them. Verse 2 of chapter 3. By the way, this section of chapter 3, the first several verses, is the longest straight uh, or number of consecutive verses he deals with this idea. Verse 2 in chapter 3, it tells us that our words are a measuring stick. They are an indicator of our righteousness, our purity, our holiness. Our words reflect what is really happening within us. Verses 3 through 7 of chapter 3 tells us, don't let your tongue get the better of you. By that I refer to the idea that he talks about the tongue being a very small part of our bodies, a small little muscle in our mouth. But although it is small, he says it's a powerful thing and can have great impact, both positively and negatively. He compares the power, the strength of the tongue to putting a metal bit in the horse's mouth and by the reins being connected to that bit, the horse is turned. That huge, strong, muscular animal is turned by just that small little rod of metal in his mouth. He compares it to the idea that a rudder on a ship can steer the big boat where the captain wants it to go. He compares it to a small spark starting a forest fire. Even goes far as, so far as to say that tiny organ in our mouth is an unstoppable evil that corrupts even the very soul. It must be kept in check and controlled. Go to chapter 3, verse 8. <laughs> he scares us there when he says the tongue is unable to be tamed. It's a relentless evil. It's full of deadly poison. Poison to the speaker and often poison to the hearer. Let's watch our tongues. We don't want to poison anyone. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 3 tells us that God is displeased with the mixed messages that come out of our mouth. He talks about it this way. He says, now, why is it that one minute beautiful words of praise and blessing are coming out of your mouth, and the next minute... It's full of ugly words of cursing and negativity. Why is that? He says, that should not be. It is not right for our mouths to produce both those styles. Let's choose rather to speak the good and the helpful. Moving into chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, tells us that words can cause quarrels and fights. We know that to be true, don't we? We've probably started some ourselves or been in one where somebody else started it with their words. That's contrary to God's design, by the way. God never designed our words to cause fights. He designed our words to encourage and edify and build us up. Verse 3 of chapter 4 tells us to speak with the right motives that it is often more about our heart even than the actual words we speak, although both are very important. 
Speak with the right motives. Have the right purpose in mind when you say something. And again, where do we find the right purpose? We find it in Scripture. And in verse 11 of chapter 4, he tells us not to speak against someone or to slander somebody else. In other words, again, like the Old Testament Ten Commandments, don't bear false witness against your neighbor. Verses 13 through 16 tell us that we should not be overconfident. We should avoid any kind of speech that kind of insinuates or kind of says, I know better than God. I mean, if you read those verses, he says, the guy gets up in the morning and says, okay, I'm going to do this today and I'm going to do that today and I'm, this is my plan. And James tells us, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. No, not your plan, but God's plan. Don't pretend that you know better than God with your words and that you've got it all planned out and you've got it perfectly mapped out. Rather, trust God and His plans not your own. Verse 15 of chapter 4 talks about the fact that we should always speak from a faith basis. That we're trusting God's will to be the best for us, the wisest for us, the thing we should choose. Chapter 5, verse 9 says, do not grumble, complain, or gripe. And uh, I kind of assume from that that if he's telling us not to do those things, he wants us to do something else, which is what? Be thankful, be grateful, be appreciative. Instead of finding something to complain about, find something to be thankful for, is what he's saying. I think that's great advice. The first part of chapter, of verse 12 of chapter 5 says, Do not swear. It's a very broad umbrella about don't use your mouth for improper words and speech. And finally, in the last part of verse 12, he says, be reputable enough. Be a person that has the integrity so that you've lived a life so that no embellishment is needed. (laughs) You don't need to add to it. Your yes is yes and your no is no. This sound familiar? Jesus said the same thing. Be that kind of a person that is so well thought of, that has always lived up to what you said, that when you say yes, people know it's a yes. And if you say no, people know it's a no. You don't need any embellishment. James has a lot to say, doesn't he? Well, of course, I also want you to be aware that Proverbs has that much and even more to say about the tongue. So I would even encourage you to read it. And I point out Paul's words in Ephesians 4 as well. And I would just maybe encourage you to start memorizing Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we're all members of one body. Quoting Psalm 4, 4, he says in verse 26, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. What great advice, what great wisdom. Verse 27, do not give the devil a foothold. Apparently the devil's just looking for something to make an inward path into our lives and our words can be that path if we're not careful. To verse 29 it says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Our words have the potential of grieving God's Spirit who lives within us. We should avoid those things. In high school, our hippy-dippy literature teacher, that's what I called her, um, gave us an assignment one day, and she or had us do an activity and then gave us an assignment based on that. Together we read the short story called The Lady or the Tiger. Some of you may be familiar with that. I'm amazed that I still remember it after those many years. I will, uh, our, my high school class will be celebrating its 50th reunion this fall. But we read this story, and here's the story kind of summed up. There was an emperor or a king kind of full of himself, and he wanted to somehow figure out a way to determine if an accused person was truly guilty or truly innocent. And so he thought and he thought, and he came up with this plan. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to fill the arena with a bloodthirsty crowd, and we're going to bring that man into that arena, the man that's been accused, and we're going to put him before Two equal, identical doors. Behind one door, a beautiful woman. Behind the other door, a hungry, fierce tiger. And as they brought the man into the arena, they would give him the choice of which door he would open. Well, the short story writer tells us all this and leads up to it and ends without telling us what came out of the door he picked. When that happened, I wasn't happy 50 years ago. (laughs) So our high school teacher said, well, guess what? You write your own ending. It was interesting because we've shared those later on to hear the different perspectives of different students. If you're interested, I chose the lady, by the way. I don't know what that says about me. But see, in in choosing the door, it would either affirm the man's guilt or innocent because the the emperor, the king, so full of himself said, well, if the tiger comes out and kills him, that means he was guilty. He got what he deserved. If the beautiful woman comes out, that means he was innocent. And he gets to marry this beautiful woman to be his wife. One of the points of the story is this, that... There is choice to be made. I give you a very sober reality right now. And I I read across one commentator who called the tongue the monster in our mouth. Have you ever thought of it that way? The monster in our mouth. And that leaves us then with a critical choice we need to make about our tongue. It's the monster in our mouth. Truth be known, the results of our choices about our words can be as wonderful as the beautiful lady coming out of the door. Or they can be as harmful and deadly as the ravenous tiger emerging and devouring the accused. Just like in the story, just like in the story, it's up to me and it's up to you what comes out of our tongue. How we use our tongue is up to us. It's our choice. James and Proverbs and other scriptures again tell us this is a very serious thing. It has serious consequences, spiritual consequences, relationship consequences. 
And I know uh, we've kind of, again, kind of maybe put it in our faces a little too much this morning. But I want to end with some encouraging words for you today. That is the words of, uh, or, or give you three ideas that can help in this battle with the tongue. You see, that monster in our mouth. Every monster that you ever hear about has something that will render it powerless, weak, or send it away. For Frankenstein, it was the fiery torch. For the wolf man, it was the silver stake or something silver. But what about for you and me? What can we look to to give us help in our ever-present battle with the control of our tongue? How can we conquer this relentless evil so often full of poison, filth, and lies? May I suggest to us this morning three specific helps to control and tame our tongue. The first is this, the powerful Word of God. Immerse ourselves into this book and hear it repeatedly tell us Be careful of that monster in your mouth. Use it for good, not for bad. The second help is the indwelling Holy Spirit. God placed within us as we became a Christian. And as he lives within us, he convicts us of our sins. He produces fruit to help us counteract that sin, especially our sins of speech. We've let the Holy Spirit reign and dominate, we can fight this battle far better. And the final example is our sinless Savior. Jesus made it. Somehow he controlled his tongue. And I know he had his moments. I know he had his time when he really might have really wanted to lash out. But he never did. The Bible tells us that he was sinless. And so he kept his tongue in check as well. Well, this morning, friends, wherever you are in life, it all begins with Jesus. If you want help controlling your tongue, look to him. If you want salvation, forgiveness of your sins, look to him. If you want strength to live your life more closely connected to God, then Jesus is the starting point. As we prepare this morning to sing our song of invitation, let's remember those three helps. That we have the word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have a sinless Savior who set a beautiful example for us. If you're battling with it, pull up those three helps. Build them into your daily lives in some fashion or many fashions. Remember, there are many fattening foods, and if we only had to get rid of one of them, we could probably do it. There are many sins of the tongue. And maybe if we only had one to conquer, we'd do better. But the fact is, there's many. And God wants our tongues to be an instrument of praise and blessing. Let's remember that as we stand and sing our song of invitation.